0: You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. John chapter 10. Last week we saw uh, in John chapter 9 uh, our third discussion on Jesus healing on the Sabbath day and uh, the effects and ramifications from that, and so... um, In in looking at that passage last week, we said when there's no reason to not believe God is at work in a situation, we should seek to increase our faith in him rather than to disprove his presence simply because the situation is contrary to our expectations. So when we have a situation where uh, all evidence seems to be pointing to Jesus doing something, uh, that we should not be so quick to try to disprove it simply because the situation isn't playing out the way that we would anticipate it to. Um, Because that's what's happening in this passage, that the the Pharisees um, are kind of thrown off by the fact that things aren't playing out the way that they think they should be playing out. And so therefore it leads them to want to disprove the situation, even though they can't really find a great reason uh, to not believe the situation. And so uh, they tried to minimize what God was clearly doing. Um, We talked about them being dismissive of Jesus, uh, primarily because he wasn't including them or obeying them in the sense that they had their structures in place. Jesus wasn't following their structures, wasn't including them as the spiritual leaders, wasn't seeking their assistance or help or anything like that. And then when they were making um, suggestions or uh, requests, Jesus was not yielding to those things. And so they try to minimize what he's doing in healing the blind man. And then we talked about our faith growing as God reveals himself more, that we see the healed man identifying Jesus as being sent from God, that uh, the only explanation for him for being healed from his blindness was that this man had to be from God. Um, We then see him committing to following Jesus regardless of the consequences because his parents are hesitant to talk about Jesus because it says that they knew they would be basically excommunicated from the synagogue, that it was known that the Pharisees had kind of made it known that if you didn't or if you did talk about Jesus, if you did not, denounce him, that you would be held accountable for it. And so uh, the man is very vocal about Jesus, so he's showing a commitment to Jesus, even if it means him being kicked out of the synagogue, which is what happens. And then we see lastly in his journey that he begins to worship Jesus as the Messiah when Jesus confronts him and tells him that he is the Son of God, that, that he is the Son of man. And, and when, the, when the healed man understands that and realizes it, he takes the next step in his journey towards um, understanding Jesus and begins to worship him as the Messiah. Um, and G- we talked about Jesus even making that statement, you have seen him, that subtle reminder as to what uh, the man was supposed to do here, and that's to worship him because he did have the ability to see now. So we talked about being careful about recognizing Jesus's work, um, even if it's not being done your way, and then not being guilty of disassoci- disassociating yourself from Jesus because you fear what others may say, that we want to commit to Jesus no matter what the consequences might be for us. So that brings us to John chapter 10. Uh, I wanna read for us our text once again this morning, Um, and then we'll jump right in. It says in John chapter 10, verse one, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, "'he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, "'but climbs in by another way, "'that man is a thief and a robber, "'but he who enters by the door "'is the shepherd of the sheep. "'To him the gatekeeper opens.'" protection, and provision, giving us great reason to listen and respond to his care. As our shepherd, Jesus provides us with guidance, protection, and provision, giving us great reason to listen and respond to his care. For our kids, we should listen to Jesus and follow him because he takes care of us like a good shepherd. As our shepherd, Jesus provides us with guidance, protection, and provision, giving us great reason to listen and respond to his care. For our kids, we should listen to Jesus and follow him because he takes care of us like a good shepherd. I had you discussing in in groups this morning about the shepherd-sheep analogy and where else we find that in scripture. It's mentioned in, in numerous places. Um, just a couple that I wanna, I wanna hit on to, to help you see this further, this analogy of God as a shepherd and his people being his sheep, obviously a familiar passage to us being Psalm chapter 23. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We'll come back to this passage in a little bit. Uh, In Psalm chapter 80, verse 1, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come to save us. Psalm chapter 100, verse 3, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of his pasture. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. And then in Isaiah 53, verse six, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of of us all. When you, when you read scripture, to me, when you read the Old Testament and the New Testament and you see this shepherd-sheep analogy, it's almost as though God created sheep specifically for a picture analogy purpose for us to better understand how we relate to him, right? We've talked before about how marriage, God creates man and woman and brings them together in marriage specifically so that we can understand Christ in the church, right? That it was, it was an ordained picture that God uses to teach us more about our relationship with him uh, as his people. And so when I read the, the, the shepherd sheep analogy throughout scripture, it doesn't ever explicitly say, and God created sheep so that we could better understand him. But that's the, that's the picture that I get. That's the feeling that I get as I read this because we know sheep offer very little besides their wool To creation, right? They're they're very, uh, they're very incompetent in their ability to to make decisions. They're very incompetent in their ability to defend themselves. Uh, They can't provide for themselves. They're very helpless uh, pieces of creation. And so, it it makes sense to me to think that God uh, specifically created them and created their need for a shepherd for us to better understand how we relate to Him as our Father. We see it throughout scripture, this analogy. Here in John chapter 10, Jesus is portraying himself in two different ways. Uh, One, he wants us to see him as the shepherd, but then also he pictures himself as the door to the fold. Um, So there's two different kind of analogies going on here. Jesus as the shepherd, and then Jesus also as a door to the flock, a door to the sheepfold. Um in Scripture, kind of going off this analogy, we see spiritual leaders, pastors, elders uh, being given to God's people, and they are meant to function as an extension of the chief shepherd, meant to represent what proper care looks like. And so um, God oftentimes refers to leaders over his people as shepherds, individuals who are supposed to model and represent what it looks like for God to care for his people. So in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, um, Peter talking to a group of elders, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. All right, so uh, we as spiritual leaders, those that, that are in positions of spiritual leadership, are meant to act, act as an extension of the chief shepherd that we read about here in John chapter 10. And we look to the Old Testament, we see <clears throat> how God's leadership that he has placed and, and provided as that extension haven't always fulfilled their role properly. In Ezekiel chapter 34, The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered, they wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. and I will require my sheep at their hand, and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. This is a dismal picture that that is being portrayed here, that the the leadership that had been given to Israel to protect them and to guide them and to uh, provide for them have become their worst enemies. And, and God is rebuking them for the fact that they have let the sheep scatter, and they have let the sheep be harmed, and they have uh, let the sheep be malnourished. And so God, God ordains the fact that he is going to correct this. And if you skip down to Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 22, he tells them exactly how he's going to fix this, how he's going to correct it. "'I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David.'" And he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. This is not a prophecy about David coming. David has already come and gone. And he is dead at this point in Israel's history. This is a prophecy about one who is to be greater than David, one who is to come from the lineage of David. This is pointing to Christ. And we see that fulfillment in John chapter 10 as, as Jesus shows up and claims to be this good shepherd that Israel was to be longing for, all right? Uh, So in the Old Testament, rather than, and really the Pharisees in this passage, and the reason that Jesus even comes with this analogy is because they are playing the part of the bad shepherd. They are playing the part more like the thief, more like the wolf that is described in this passage, right? And so we see it in the Old Testament where God rebukes them. Now Jesus is rebuking them as well by bringing up this analogy that rather than leading the people to experience God, They've been leading them away from God by teaching this legalistic approach to how to relate to him. One commentator said, rather than gazing in the, uh, grazing in the pastures of God's grace, they were loading them up to plow the barren fields of legalism. Rather than grazing in the pastures of God's grace, they were loading them up to plow the barren fields of legalism. This analogy takes place in response to Jesus uh, caring for the excommunicated blind man, right? They're to be shepherds and they have cast away one of their very own who is yielding to the chief shepherd. They have discarded him, says that once he had been discarded, Jesus goes and finds him and communicates truth to him to rescue him, right? And so Jesus is showing what a good shepherd looks like. Um, This passage uh, kind of assumes an understanding of how sheep and shepherds worked in the Old Testament and then in the, the, the present day age of when they're hearing this, this concept, this analogy, that's kind of foreign and distanced to us, right? Um, just to give you a little bit of background to better understand what is being talked about here, that oftentimes shepherds in caring for their sheep, they would have a fold that they would bring them to uh, that was kind of part of the city where they would store their sheep at night. Um, so when they weren't out in the pastures sleeping and they were back closer to home, they would store all their sheep in the same spot. And there was a gatekeeper who would kind of check in the process, knew who the official shepherds were, would have recognized any thieves or robbers. And so as they would check these sheep in, they would keep them in this fold for the night. And then in the morning when the shepherd would come to take his sheep and to release his sheep and take them to feed once again, they would come in and the way that they would separate them is through the voice of the shepherd, right? And so he'd begin to speak or (coughs) make certain calls, specifically calling them by name. The sheep would would have ears that would perk up and hey, that's my shepherd, see you guys. You know, we we were hanging out tonight, but we're not a part of the same flock. And so they would distance themselves and leave as each shepherd would come in and call their sheep to them. (coughs) So the gatekeeper would come and, and would, and would, or the, they would come to the gatekeeper. Gatekeeper would let those shepherds in. That shepherd, one at a time, would begin to call his sheep to himself. <clears throat> now, when they were out at night and not back towards the city, they would set up a fold as well, kind of a, a temporary place for the sheep to be kept, right? And, and they would set up rocks and uh, walls as best they could, <clears throat> but they would leave the door open and the shepherd would lay across that opening where the sheep would enter and exit, and he was the door for the fold at that point, meaning that nobody could come in and out without the shepherd knowing, right? That the shepherd wasn't going to be such a deep sleeper that a sheep couldn't cross over him and escape without it awakening, awakening him and him knowing. Also, a wolf couldn't, couldn't come in, couldn't cross over the shepherd without the shepherd knowing, and so he became the official door. To, to protect the sheep, and so that's kind of the context of how Jesus is even talking about himself and uh, what he does for his people in this passage. Okay, so let's jump right in and see some principles for us and how it relates to us today, um, especially in a day and age where we don't uh, have the, the regular ongoing shepherd-sheep uh, relationship that we see you know, in our culture, so it'll, it'll be helpful for us to see Uh, this in the context that I've just described so we can better understand how God relates to us. All right, so number one, uh, we need to prepare our ears to hear the good shepherd. One of the things that Jesus mentions uh, right off the bat here is the ability for his sheep to hear his voice. Truly, truly, I say to you, he he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. We need to be preparing our ears regularly to hear the Good Shepherd, right? That we need to familiarize ourselves with what the Good Shepherd even sounds like so that we know when and how to respond to him when he speaks to us, right? What's happening here is a picture of. Uh, a sheep being able to differentiate between his shepherd and false shepherds, basically, right? Strangers, thieves, robbers, individuals that would come maybe seeking to lead the sheep astray, but the sheep not yielding to that false guidance and direction, instead having their ears tuned in to their shepherd, okay? And so, We're going to see a lot about what Jesus does as the shepherd, but there also is an invocation to the responsibility for the sheep, and the sheep have a responsibility to hear his voice, to recognize his voice, and to respond to his voice, right? Um, For our kids, we need to listen to Jesus as our shepherd. Prepare our ears to hear the good shepherd. Number one, Jesus is faithful to gather all of his sheep. He speaks in a voice that we can understand and he gathers his sheep to himself. It says, The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, then he goes before them and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. It's Jesus who is the one to gather the sheep. He initiates. Our gathering. One commentator put it this way. He said, we don't become his sheep because we follow him. We follow him because we are his sheep. We don't become his sheep because we follow him. We follow him because we are his sheep, right? And so this is a, a nod to our understanding of how God has, has um, put into place our salvation from eternity past, right? And so as his voice begins to speak, as the gospel goes forth, we respond to that as his sheep, um, that that we are his sheep, and we are responding to his voice as we hear it. Um, And Jesus comes into this fold, and he identifies his sheep based off of uh, recognition and relationship. There's a a picture of intimacy of him knowing his sheep, uh, knowing them by name that's pictured here in John chapter 10. So he's faithful to gather all of his sheep to himself. And then number two, he's faithful to guard all of his sheep as well. He guards his sheep. He speaks in a voice that we can differentiate. He speaks in a voice that we can differentiate from false shepherds. We talked about how spiritual leaders are called to be an extension of that protection. We see this in Acts chapter 20. Paul giving a charge to the spiritual leaders here in this passage. It says, "...pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock." And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. All right, so Paul's very concerned about false shepherds coming into the flock to deceive and to misdirect. And there's a charge to the elders to, to be the, the protectors, the extension of that gatekeeper to guard and protect the flock. And Jesus is a faithful shepherd that does guard and protect all of his sheep. In Jude chapter 1, because there's only one, verse 3, says, "'Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints.'" For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So there's this picture of a threat that's there, and then the, the, the picture of how Jesus protects us from that threat, that he guards and leads us as a shepherd, One commentator said, The greatest danger to your spiritual health will most likely come from someone claiming to be a Christian, someone who quotes a lot of verses but distracts you from the gospel of Jesus. Listen to that again. The greatest danger to your spiritual health will most likely come from someone claiming to be a Christian, someone who quotes a lot of verses but distracts you from the gospel of Jesus. Thankfully, we're protected from these type of dangers. And John talks about this in his letter in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. It tells us how we can protect ourselves. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And that's such such a comfort to us as believers, that if we truly are Christians, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, who is greater than any deception that could come our way. Holy Spirit guards and protects us. From yielding to the wrong types of shepherds, we hear his voice, we follow his voice, we don 't listen to the strangers, right I told you that um, how do we how do we discern and, and understand whether something is of God or not of God, especially in a, in a culture where prosperity is preached and, and faith healing is communicated. I told you that if those individuals aren 't trumpeting and championing Jesus in their message then it's probably something that should be discounted, right? That if, if, if the individual who is a part of some type of healing movement or faith movement or prosperity movement, if it's meant to draw you to their ministry, to them specifically, it should probably be discounted very quickly. This passage talks about that, that if, hey, if they are not championing Jesus, if they are not confessing that Jesus has come in the flesh, that he is of God, that he is from God, you should, you should, you should discount them. You should not listen to them. They're, they're not the shepherd. They're, they're the strangers. They're the wolves that come in and seek to deceive, right? So we have to have our ears tuned properly so that we can hear Jesus when he speaks to us. And, and there's practical things that we can do in order to, to tune our ears to him. And we'll talk about that at the end of the sermon, right? But we need to prepare our ears to hear the voice of the good shepherd. Number two, we need to submit our decisions to follow the good shepherd. We need to submit our decision-making, filter our choices in such a way to where we align ourselves with following the good shepherd. For our kids, we need to obey Jesus as our shepherd. Look what it says here. It says that after he's gathered them, called them by name, he leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Two things that I want you to see here is, is in regards to the sheep and the responsibility of the sheep. One is that Jesus provides immediate guidance to all of his sheep. Right, there's immediate guidance that's provided here. Jesus calls them to himself and immediately starts to move them in a specific direction. And we can be grateful and thankful that as believers, Jesus oftentimes will give us immediate guidance and direction when we pray for it. When we lack wisdom, James talks about praying for wisdom, right? That when we don't know what to do, we can lean upon Jesus to give us the the next steps to take. And he doesn't give them to us audibly, right? Which is where I believe scripture is absolutely paramount to a believer making right decisions that honor God, that all of our decision-making has to first be filtered through Scripture, particularly when Scripture is very black and white about certain things, that we have to align our decision-making with the black and white of Scripture. And then when there's the gray areas where we don't have clear direction, where Scripture is not going to tell us which job to take or which college to go to, right? That we filter that decision-making still through Scripture and the principles that we see through Scripture, And as we're reading scripture and filtering things through scripture, what we find very clearly in scripture is that we ought to seek the guidance and direction from other believers, right? That that wisdom from others will oftentimes get us moving in the right direction as well when we don't know where to go. Particularly those that have been put in place to be an extension of the good shepherd, right? As elders, we want to be the types of individuals that you can come to when you don't know what to do next with your life. When you're faced with decisions that, that you can't just run to, to scripture and get a clear answer about what to do next. That we have, we've signed up for the responsibility to shepherd your souls and to give an account. Ezekiel talks about the, the shepherds of Israel giving an account for the sheep and how they fed them and how they took care of them, right? And they had failed in it and they were gonna give an account for it. As elders of this church, when we talk about uh, what our role is, when somebody comes to us and says, hey, I want to I wanna talk to you more about being an elder potentially, one of the first conversations we have is, are you willing to sign up for the, the responsibility that comes with this position? That, that we have a responsibility to lead and guide the sheep of this church in the right directions that Scripture would have them go. And we wanna be the types of individuals that you can come to and seek out for guidance and help because there's a lot of decisions that, that we're faced with that we can't get immediate answers from scripture, right? And so scripture talks about wisdom coming from other people. Jesus provides immediate guidance to his sheep, but then number two, he also provides a long-term direction as well, right? What's the immediate guidance here? That the sheep need to get out of the fold and need to follow him. Right? He shows up after a night's sleep, begins to call them by name. Hey, we know what we're doing right now. They have no idea what they're doing the rest of the day. Right? The sheep have no idea where they're going the rest of the day, but they know immediately, the immediate guidance is, hey, our shepherd is talking. We need to go to him. They begin to leave that fold. right? Once the shepherd has all of his sheep, he's identified them by name. He knows that he's not leaving anyone behind, right? Then he begins to march them to the direction, to the place that he wants to take them. That place of green pastures that Psalm chapter 23 talks about, right? And the sheep have no idea where that is. They could could never get there on their own, right? They would get lost immediately. Their immediate guidance was to come get next to the shepherd. And now the shepherd begins to move them and he alone knows the long-term direction, right? Sometimes we get immediate guidance about taking a job or, or making this decision or that decision. And then oftentimes we get real confused as to, okay, what, what's supposed to happen next? Or we get shocked with some of the results that come from some of that decision making. And that the encouragement to us is that we have a good shepherd who knows exactly where he's taking us, even when we don't always know that, right? That, that there's immediate guidance, and then there's this long-term direction that we can trust with our shepherd as well. He knows exactly what the day holds. He knows exactly where he is taking these sheep, right? So prepare your ears to hear the good shepherd, submit your decisions to follow the good shepherd. Man, if we could ever get to the point where we are whole, you know, wholeheartedly abandoned to doing whatever the shepherd tells us to do, because that's, that's where the sheep would be at at this point. They know his voice, He's named them and so they even know their name when it's called out, right? Much like a dog, when when a dog has a name and you begin to call that dog by name and he's learned it, he comes running. He comes running to you, right? The sheep come running to their shepherd and then the shepherd gives them the long-term direction that they need. Number three, enjoy your life to honor the good shepherd. Enjoy your life to honor the good shepherd, for our kids, we need to be thankful for how Jesus cares like a shepherd. All right, so he gives them this analogy of the sheep shepherd. It says that they have no idea what he's talking about. Figure of speech he used with them. They did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture.'" The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Two things that are going on here in this passage that helps us to to understand uh, this promise that he's giving. Number one, we are saved from the destructive results of sin. When we we are uh, a part of his flock, We are saved from the destructive effects of sin. He talks about the thieves and the robbers. He talks about the thief coming to steal and to kill and to destroy. That that is the direction that the thief will take the sheep if they listen to him, right? But if the sheep listen to the shepherd, what's promised to them? Well, they're promised this picture of peace and security and rest, right? They're pictured uh, being in this environment where nothing can come and nothing can go unless the shepherd allows it. And that in the midst of coming and going, the sheep find pasture. We're saved from the destructive results of sin. This is what we as Christians are saved from. Right? We're saved from hell. We're saved from condemnation. But as the doorkeeper, everything coming to us is filtered through the good shepherd, meaning that the gate offers protection, peace, and security. He is the door. No sheep can leave and no wolf can enter without crossing through him. But we know that the shepherd allows difficult times through the door, right? As his sheep, he doesn't guard and protect us from every undesirable circumstance. But the image that I want you to have now, because we've been preaching this message for a long time, right? This idea that all things work together for good, that we can trust him. We don't run from him. We run to him when things get tough in our life. I want you to picture the tough things that are coming to you in your life being filtered through the door of Jesus who allows them into the flock for specific reasons and purposes that will be for our good. And we can trust that he pushes back and withholds anything that doesn't fit into his purposes. He says, nothing can come in and nothing can go out unless it passes through me. He's the ultimate filter. He's the ultimate protector which means if something comes into our life that is undesirable, we can trust in the promise of Romans 8, 28, that he is not reacting to something that has happened in our life, that he is ordained to use it for good purposes. We're saved from the destructive results of sin. He is our protector, he is our doorkeeper, and everything is filtered through the good shepherd. But number two, we are saved to the abundant type of life We were always designed for. So Christianity is not just about what we're saved from. It's about also what we are saved to. And what we are saved to is a promised pasture type living. And that's where we go back to Psalm chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want... He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Man, what this tells me is that being a sheep of Jesus and following him as the shepherd doesn't mean that life is always green pastures, right? That there's times where you do walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but that you don't have to fear being in that valley because our shepherd's with us and he has a great rod, a great staff that provides great comfort because we don't have a defense mechanism for ourselves, right? So we find ourselves in a, in a situation, a circumstance that is undesirable, that's difficult, that's pressing in on us, right? Job insecurity infertility issues within the marriage, right? Sudden news about sickness that may lead to death, things that that throw our lives up uh, in in crazy ways. Valley of the shadow of death. It says that we're gonna go through these times, but we don't have to fear during those times because our shepherd's with us and he has the, the protective peace that guards us in those difficult times. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. One one commentator that I was reading talked about the bookend pieces of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want all the days of my life. That we can understand everything in Psalm chapter 23 by understanding those key phrases at the first and the last of the Psalm. That the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want all the days of my life. And there's nothing in scripture that, that, that would allow us to translate that as the abundant life, meaning an abundance of things. Right? That, that we can then translate this as, oh, God's going to give me everything that I ever want. I love the passage in Philippians where Paul talks about learning the secret to contentment because if I was to describe, to try to describe what does it mean to live the abundant life? It means to live a life where you're completely free from wanting. That's what the abundant life is. It's being free from wanting. It's being content with whatever is given that that means that that I enjoy abundance all the time. And that's really what Paul says. He says, I've learned to to be grateful and thankful when I have everything and when I have nothing. When I'm brought high and when I'm brought low, I have learned to be content. When I talked through Philippians years and years and years ago, we kind of camped out on this passage. And we talked about Paul being the type of guy who could win the lottery and it doesn't change his perspective about life. He could lose his job and lose his retirement and it it doesn't change his perspective about life. That that he doesn't shift based on if this was a good week or this was a bad week that his joy in Christ isn't shaped by the circumstances that he's going through, that he's learned the secret of contentment to be grateful, to to be resting in the promise that God works all things for the good of his children, that it doesn't matter what comes my way. Doesn't matter if I deem it good or not good, God deems it good. That's what it means to live in the abundant life, is to live in a state of life where we no longer want and that is a progressive thing for us, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a thing that we're constantly maturing in. And there's times in our life, seasons in our life, where we may, we may really get this and we may really feel this. And then other times where if we're honest with ourselves, we want a lot. We want something a whole lot and we're not content without it right? And that's where conviction has to set in at some point that we are making an idol out of something, that we are not content with the shepherd who holds the rod, who holds the staff, who is leading us to green pastures, that instead we see something else on the other side that makes us think, oh, the green pastures are over there. Why is our shepherd confused? Like, why are we still going this way? Because clearly that's where we should be. That's what I want. That's what I need. That's what will satisfy me. All the while the shepherd's like, hey, get over here, Like the green pastures are this way. I'm the one who provides the long-term direction. I'm the one who knows where we're going, right? That's the picture that we see here in Psalm chapter 23 is that we can be living in a state where we don't want, that we can trust his green pastures. We can trust his still waters and we can trust that it may take going through the valley of the shadow of death to get to the green pastures and to get to the still waters. We need to enjoy our life in such a way that we honor the good shepherd. We are promised joys that are bigger and last longer than our troubles. We are promised joys that are bigger and last longer than any troubles we can experience here. Enjoy your life to honor the Good Shepherd. Number four, entrust your circumstances to the character of the Good Shepherd. See, we can we can preach this message of of not wanting and trusting and following and being committed and obedient, listening to the shepherd. But those things only work. It's only it's all contingent on the shepherd being good, right? If we're just following to follow and hoping and trusting in something that could be empty, we're we're gambling. But what Jesus does here is that he, he, he quantifies and clarifies the type of shepherd that he is, that he's not just any shepherd. Because Israel's used to bad shepherds that feed themselves and don't feed the sheep, right? The shepherds are the ones living the abundant life and the sheeps are the ones that, that, are, that are malnourished, right? But Jesus quantifies the type of shepherd that he is. It says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice so there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. He talks about this intimacy with his sheep, the way that he knows them. He says in verse 14, I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. For our kids, we need to trust Jesus as our shepherd entrust our circumstances to the character of the good shepherd. Number one, Jesus demonstrates his love for the sheep by knowing each one intimately. Knowing each one intimately. Man, the way that he pictures the knowledge that he has of us, it's almost as though it rivals the knowledge that he enjoys with his father. That there's a a deep level of intimacy that Jesus gives that Jesus experiences with us just like he experiences with his father. The psalmist talks about this in Psalm 139, what it means to be known by Jesus on this type of level. Psalm 139, 15. "'My frame was not hidden from you "'when I was being made in secret, "'intricately woven in the depths of the earth. "'Your eyes saw my unformed substance.'" In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. He knows us so intimately that he knows every single day of our life and they haven't even happened yet. I mean, that's the type of shepherd that I want leading me through my life, one who knows all the days in advance one who ordained all the days in advance, right? Not just one who reacts to the days that are coming, but one who created the days that are coming. That's how we can live that abundant, I don't want life. Because I'm following somebody who knows my life, who knows exactly where I'm going, knows exactly how to get me there. I don't have to wonder, should I have done this? should I have done that, right? Should I have taken this job? Should I have gone to this college? Should I have married this individual, right? Like we follow the shepherd who knows the days of our life and we can follow him wholeheartedly like a a sheep who knows nothing else to do but follow the one that he recognizes his voice. We can be wholly abandoned to that idea. Number two, he demonstrates his love for the sheep by sacrificing his life. Five times in this passage, Jesus promises to lay down his life for the sheep. Verse 11, verse 15, verse 17, verse 18. It's proof that he was in control the whole time of his death circumstances. He lays it down. Nobody takes it from him, right? So he is promising to lay down his life for the sheep intentionally. And he didn't die to primarily show his love or be an example to us, right? He died because we were in danger, danger in our sin, danger of being condemned, and he rescued us from that. What's encouraging in John chapter 10, get this, when the danger increases, Jesus's involvement and commitment increases as well. When the danger increases, Jesus' involvement with us increases as well. He's willing to lay down his life rather than run from a fight. He uses the analogy of the hired hand. He says when when things get tough and you've hired somebody to do this job, there's 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 a breaking point level for the hired hand. When things get too difficult, too dangerous, this is where I get out, right? Like I don't, I, I, this, these aren't my sheep, right? This, this, isn't, this, isn't, this isn't me anymore, I gotta, I gotta get out, right? When somebody owns a business, you want to hire people that will invest as much as they can in seeing that business as their own as well, because you get full buy-in, full commitment. But a lot of times you see people that own businesses that hire people and and they're just not committed and they get out when things are tough or difficult, when the schedule doesn't meet what they want it to be. This hired hand, when the wolf shows up, he says, I'm out, like, you can have the sheep, they're not mine anyways, I don't care, my life's more important to me than the sheep's life. When the danger increases for the shepherd Jesus, he gets more involved in the situation and lays down his life for the sheep, right? He demonstrates his love, by laying down his life, by sacrificing his life. Number three, he demonstrates his power for the sheep by raising himself from the dead. Right? If there's any question about whether or not Jesus can do all the things that I'm telling you that he can, it's made evident by the fact that he can raise himself from the dead. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. Jesus has the ability to raise himself from the dead, which means he has the power to do anything. Again, that's the type of shepherd that we want to follow, the one that can do anything for the sheep. The resurrection is proof that he has the power to do everything else he has promised to do. And then lastly, number four, Jesus demonstrates his global vision by including other sheep into the fold. And see, we have to filter our circumstances through the bigger picture. That Jesus isn't a shepherd who functions like a genie for us and just does what we want him to do. That he's the one with the long-term direction, and his long-term direction includes calling other sheep into the fold. And this is the beautiful picture of the Gentiles coming into the Israelite flock and being made into one flock with one shepherd, right? Right? This is us. This is you and me getting into this story right here that Jesus doesn't leave us out as Gentiles. He says, there are other sheep that are gonna listen to my voice too and they are gonna become a part of this flock and I'm gonna be their shepherd as well. So Jesus preaches his sermon, his picture of him being a shepherd, right? And then it comes to verse 19, There's a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he's got a demon and he's insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? The question that I would ask here at the end is, why would you not listen to him? Right? Why would you not listen to him? The Pharisees are so stubborn because they're not his sheep. They can't hear his voice. It doesn't doesn't process for them, right? He's a strange shepherd for them. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is, why would we not listen to him? Why would we not listen to one making these type of promises who has time and time again proven his ability to honor the promises that he's making? Why would we not listen to him? The application questions for us. Number one, what am I doing to familiarize myself with the voice of the Lord so that I hear it properly in my life? What am I doing to familiarize myself with the voice of the Lord so that I hear it properly in my life? This is one of the byproducts of being immersed and abiding in the word of God. We saw the need to abide in his word just a couple of chapters ago, right? We have to be familiar with his voice to listen to it. The way that we listen to it and hear it and know that it's him is to be immersed in his word so that we can recognize when we hear a teacher or we read a book or we hear a coworker talking in such a way that's not consistent with scripture, right? That we have to be so familiar with his voice that we can say that's not his voice, right? Nowhere in scripture are we told to learn all the other voices so that we can recognize Jesus's voice, right? We're just told to know Jesus's voice. And then when we hear other people's voices, we say, well, that's not it, Like I'm so in tune with what Jesus's voice sounds like. I know that's not his voice. What are you doing to familiarize yourself with the voice of the Lord so that you hear it properly? Number two, what is my typical process for making decisions and does it reflect a desire to follow the shepherd? Are you filtering your decision-making through God's word and then when God's word can't provide clear direction for you, are you then filtering it through people who have demonstrated the ability to provide wise counsel in your life? Are you then seeking them out to get direction and guidance? I think there's something that all of us feel inside of ourselves, this, this prideful thing that we want to go approach wise counsel with the decision already made so that it looks like we didn't actually need wise counsel because we're wise ourselves, right? So oftentimes we will go talk to wise counsel, but we've already made the decision, but we kind of veil it as though we're having a conversation here. But the fact is I've already made the decision because I'm wise in my own right and don't always need wise counsel. Don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. Be the type of individual that says, I wanna follow the shepherd, and sometimes his voice is, is, is quieter than other times and I can't see it as clearly in scripture as I see it in other times. And so I need to go seek other help so that I can hear his voice clearly and move in the right direction. Number three, does your life reflect the joy of a Psalm 23 sheep? Does your life reflect the joy of a Psalm 23 sheep? Are you walking around? Are you interacting with family and friends and coworkers and neighbors and people that you enjoy the same hobbies with? And are you the type of sheep who says, I don't want? The green pastures that I eat in satisfy me. The still waters that I drink from satisfy me. And sometimes I have to go through the valley of the shadow of death to get there. But I follow a shepherd who keeps me from wanting Are we that type of sheep? Are we Psalm 23 sheep who do not want all the days of our life that we are learning the secret of being content? Our lives ought to be abundantly evident to others that he's worth listening to, right? Some of us, our lives and the way that we portray our lives, it leads to number four. Does your life give reason to others to not listen to him? Right, because we're not quick to trust him and we're not quick to be satisfied with him and we're not quick to be content with where he is leading us, that others would look at our life and say, why would I follow your shepherd? You don't seem very pleased with him yourself, right? If we're living like Psalm 23 describes that we should be living, sheep who are enjoying the pastures that he's bringing us to, it ought to give great reason to people that we interact with to come listen to our shepherd. Man, I want to get on, I want to get on y'all's track. Where, wherever y'all are going, that seems like the way that I want to be going to, right? Or does your life give reason to others to not listen to them because you are a sheep who is constantly wanting? It's a question that I would encourage you to ask yourself. Our family worship questions this week, what are some ways that Jesus cares for us according to Psalm chapter 23? Go back and look at that passage. What are some ways that Jesus cares for us according to Psalm 23? And then number two, what are some ways we can hear from Jesus as our shepherd so that we can follow him? Give you a chance to talk with your kids about the importance of his word, the importance of godly counsel that can be found through the local church to help guide us every step of the way. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you have given Jesus to us who is a good shepherd. He's a shepherd who lays down in the door and keeps the bad stuff out. And God, help us to see that what we oftentimes call bad circumstances are simply things that you're using to work good in our life. God, help us to trust you as a good shepherd, a shepherd who has demonstrated that he is bought into us at the deepest levels, that you're a shepherd who is willing to die for us to save us from the danger that we're in. You're not a hired hand fulfilling a job or a responsibility. Father, we're thankful that we belong to you, that we are your sheep. We're thankful that you have empowered our ears to hear you when you speak. God, give us the desire and the discipline to familiarize ourselves more and more with your voice so that we can hear it and move in your direction quicker and quicker in our life. God, help us to be sheep, who experience contentment with where you're leading us, not sheep who are complaining and grumbling and wanting. God, help us to be sheep that are fully satisfied with you, not just in the green pasture times, but in the valley of the shadow of death. Help us to be content with your rod and your staff that protects us and comforts us and and guides us through those difficult times. God, I pray that our lives would be lived in such a way where they can be described as abundant living. Not because we have an abundance of things, but because we are joyful even when we have nothing. Gotta pray that you'd convict us where we need to be convicted about that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.savhope.org. Again, that's www.savhope.org.